Hello, everybody, and welcome to Catholic Truth. We are going to do a deep, deep debunking of Robert Breaker, who is fiercely anti-Catholic and adamantly against the Catholic Church, but he's also completely wrong in everything he says against the Catholic Church. One thing you will notice is that he doesn't cite any sources. He doesn't quote any popes or councils or catechisms or anything in regards to what the Catholic Church believes. He just says the Catholic Church believes this and this and this, but he gets it disastrously wrong on everything he says. And this is so sad, and it could easily make people angry, but I remember Saul, who honestly thought he was doing the right thing. He honestly thought he was serving God by killing the Christians. And this man honestly thinks he's doing the right thing, too. He's just mistaken and misled. And so in this video, for his sake and for all the people who watch him, for all the people who are considering Catholicism, we are going to debunk this man and show that anti-Catholics like himself make so many claims against the Catholic Church, but they are disastrously incorrect. They're fallacious from beginning to end, and we really want to point that out. What people say and what we actually believe are two different things, and we're going to see that with crystal clarity in this video. So we're going to get started on that right after this. My name is Brian Mercier, President of Catholic Truth, and if you haven't been here before, welcome. Make sure to check out our merchandise if you haven't. Jesus started the Catholic Church and many other t-shirts that we have, mugs, bumper stickers, or if you would like a retreat at your church, if you would like to support us on PayPal or uh, Patreon, please check out all of that in our show description notes below. Robert Breaker says he's studied Catholicism a lot, but he has not studied it, and it's uh, evident that he has not studied it. And we are going to see this by by playing clips of what he says, and then we will give what the real truth is. It's a personal conviction, if you will. And the reason I choose not to join is because I'm a Bible believer. I believe to follow the Bible. So everything that I look at and I scrutinize and I study, I always go to the Bible to see, okay, does that line up with the Scripture? Does that line up with what the Bible really teaches? And if a denomination says one thing, and the Bible says something else, I will always follow the Word of God. Because I believe everything that God ever wanted us to know is in the Bible. And by Bible, I mean the King James 1611 authorized version. Mr. Breaker says that everything I need to know, God put in this book. But is that true? Can he know which books belong in that book, according to the Bible alone? I mean, where does Scripture say what books are scripture? It says that all scripture is inspired, but it does not say which books are and are not scripture. That infallible knowledge came from outside the Bible. It was made by the church. It was the church that chose the books of the Bible in the Catholic Council of Rome in 382, the Catholic Council of Carthage in 397, and finalized and ratified by Pope Innocent I in 401 AD. Before that, there was no Bible or official list of books, and that came from outside the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell you that Matthew's inspired. It doesn't tell you who wrote Hebrews. There's a lot of things that aren't in the Bible, and not every single thing that God wants us to know is found in the Bible, and nowhere does the Bible say that. Moreover, he says that he judges other denominations, all other denominations based on the Bible. But don't other denominations do the exact same thing? Don't they judge all the other denominations based on the Bible? So Baptists will say, oh, well, everyone is wrong except us Baptists, and we're going by the Bible. 
Pentecostals will say that we are right and we're judging everyone else by the Bible and all of the denominations and all the individual people like Mr. Breaker, millions of personal interpretations all judge everyone else, but only theirs is correct. That's not how the Bible works. This is Protestantism in a nutshell, that if you don't agree with my personal interpretation with the Bible, then you are reading the Bible wrongly. And that's been the 500-year story of the Protestant churches. I hear so many scary interpretations, and people say that if it doesn't line up with my interpretation of the Bible, because I'm reading it correctly and nobody else is, this is very delusive and scary thinking, and everybody's thinking it, but nobody realizes that there might be a problem with the thinking. The, the foundation might be faulty in the first place. There is no salvation outside of the Roman Catholic Church. Is that true? Is salvation only in a church and only through that church and the teachings of that church you can be saved and get to heaven? Is that true? Well, let's start off today with 2 Timothy 3.15. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. The Apostle Paul is writing here to Timothy. And he says, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. According to the Bible, you can be saved outside of any church. You can be saved through the scriptures. They make you wise unto salvation. For they show that it is through faith in Jesus Christ that you can be saved. But also, it says, the scripture is given for doctrine. Our doctrine should come from the scriptures not from a denomination that attempts to, to teach what they believe you should believe. In this chunk, he says, is it really true that there's no salvation outside the church and you can't have salvation by any other means? And then he goes on to quote 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, starting in verse 15. What he doesn't seem to realize is that the passages here state that these scriptures that Paul's talking about are the scriptures that Timothy read as a child. So therefore, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. He's not talking about the whole Bible here. So at best, the Old Testament scriptures lead to correction and reproof and uh, doctrine and all of those things that he says the Bible alone does. But that's not true. It's talking about the Old Testament. Second of all, the church wouldn't start until Pentecost, so those scriptures don't combat or conflict with the church. They go together. It's not the church or the scriptures. It's both. If doctrine is only found in the Bible, right doctrine, then how did the people know it before the Bible was even written? Because it was given by Jesus Christ and the church was preaching the gospel and right doctrine. And then later on, some of that was written down into what we know as the Bible. For example, Jesus taught that he was God. Now, this was a truth and a true doctrine before that was even written into Scripture. And so, therefore, this truth was being preached before Scripture was written down. So, to say that the truth is only found in Scripture, it's not accurate. It's not found in the Bible. And nowhere does 2 Timothy 3, 15, 16, and 17 teach this. So we have to remember here that he's saying the Old Testament can make you wise unto salvation. But what Mr. Breaker forgets, ignores, or doesn't realize is that the word in 2 Timothy 3, 16 is helpful or profitable, depending on how it's translated. So it says that the Scriptures are helpful. 
or profitable in making you wise into salvation and helping to make right doctrine. It does not say sufficient. It does not say final. It does not say the only authority, the final authority on matters for Christians or anything like that. He's reading that into the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that it's helpful for making doctrine and leading you to salvation. Now, if I want to learn to play baseball, it's helpful for me to learn how to bat, but it's also helpful for me to learn how to to run the bases and to learn the rules and to pitch and to do other things. I mean, if it's helpful for me to to bat and that's all I do, but I ignore all the rest of everything, then that's not sufficient. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it's sufficient for doctrine or sufficient for interpretation of doctrine. We agree that the Bible is the Word of God. We agree that it's infallible from beginning to end, but we do not agree that every single person can interpret it any way they want infallibly because we know from history that that's not true. By the time Luther died, there were over 240 new denominations, all claiming to be correct, all claiming to go by the Bible, all claiming to be spirit-led, and they basically condemned everyone else who disagreed with them. And Luther himself was frustrated with this mess by the end of his life. How many YouTube pastors fight and war with each other based on the scriptures? Oh, well, they're not truly spirit-led. Oh, well, they're not truly spirit-led. Oh, well, I disagree with John MacArthur on these things, but I agree with him on other things. Oh, well, I disagree with R.C. Sproler. I just, you know, they're all disagreeing with each other, but they're using the same book and praying to the same Holy Spirit. And it's because it's not the final authority. It never has been. This doctrine was invented uh, shortly before the Protestant Reformation and made popular at the Protestant Reformation, and God would not wait 1,500 years to reveal his truth to us. This doesn't work that way. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, and the Seventh-day Adventists believe that God waited 1,800 years to reveal the truth to the world, but again, it doesn't work that way. Here's the problem. I would assume that Mr. Breaker would say the Jehovah's Witnesses do not have the truth, even though they go by the Bible alone. The Bible alone is their authority. The Church of God has the Bible alone as their authority, but they reject the Trinity. There are many Bible-only religions that, that preach and teach outright heresy. Both of those religions go by the Bible as their highest authority, and they also reject the Trinity. In other words, everyone is using this book but coming up with different interpretations of it. That's because this book was never meant to be as the sole authority for a Christian. What the Bible does say is that the church, not scripture, the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. That is what it says in 1 Timothy 3.15. We also see that Jesus started a teaching and preaching authoritative church in Matthew 18, 15 through 18, and in John 20, 21 through 23, and in Matthew 28, uh, 19 and following. We see that Jesus started an authoritative church built on the apostles. These were the ones who preached and taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. They preached the doctrines of Jesus Christ long before the Bible was written, decades before the Bible was written. And this authoritative teaching and preaching church had the authority to canonize the Bible in the fourth century and gave us the Bible that we know today. Because the Bible alone is not the authority, so everything is not in this book, Mr. Breaker, including the canon of Scripture or how to interpret it. In fact, Revelation 2.29 and 3.22, among other verses, says, Listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Listen to what the Spirit says, not to every individual Christian. Listen to what the Spirit says to the 
churches. Now, these churches in Revelation were all one church. They were in different locations, but they were all part of the one universal church that Jesus started. One apostle went to one location and started a church there. Another apostle went to another country and started one there. Another one went to another city and started one there. So all the apostles with their one faith, one hope, one baptism, one doctrine, one church, just started this one church in different locations. So these aren't different denominations being spoken of. It's one church. And we must listen to what the Spirit says to the church. Likewise, 2 Peter 1.20 says you must understand that prophecy of Scripture is of no private interpretation, meaning that we cannot interpret it with our own private interpretations. That's not what Scripture is. It did not come by the will of man, but by the will of God. And God himself in the person of Jesus Christ gave us an authoritative teaching and preaching church. And that church has the authority to interpret the Bible because the church had the authority to make the Bible in the first place. Can the Bible teach us things? Can we read it as a devotional and God can speak and work through us and teach us lessons of life? Yes, absolutely. But what we're saying is that the final authority and interpretation resides with the church that Jesus started. It's impossible that it could reside with each and every individual millions of Christians around the world who all come up with different interpretations of it. That's not how it works. Protestants love to say, we go by the Bible, but the Catholic Church goes by tradition. No, we go by the Bible as well, but we also go by tradition, remembering that tradition came before the Bible. Jesus told the apostles to go out and preach to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So they were preaching the truth of Jesus Christ. This is tradition, the the oral word that Christ gave his church, which they went on to give others, who gave it to others, and so on. And that's why he instilled the apostles in their places to make sure that word stayed pure. People say that the tradition is like telephone. You pass it on and it gets diluted. But that's exactly why Paul called people out for diluting it. That's exactly why Peter and James and John called people out for diluting it. Anytime people changed it, the apostles who were trained by Jesus and who trained others corrected them and called them on and they kept that truth in pure, pristine uh, clarity. We're going to look at Catholicism on one hand and the Bible on the other, and let's see if they agree. Do they agree? Does the Bible teach Catholicism? Or is Catholicism a religion that teaches certain doctrines that are outside of the Bible? So this is why I personally am not a Roman Catholic. Now, if you are, help yourself. Be a Roman Catholic. But it wouldn't hurt to watch and see why I'm not. I'm not saying you don't have to be. If you want to continue being a Catholic, help yourself. But you should also study. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We are commanded in the Bible to study the word of God. We are commanded to prove all things, hold fast that which is good. So today, we're going to take the Bible and look at Roman Catholicism and see, do they agree? Are they the same? Well, the first reason that I personally choose not to be a Roman Catholic is because of the history of Catholicism. I've studied out the Catholic Church and I found out that the Catholic Church really just started in about 300 years after Jesus. Now I know what they teach. They, they teach that the Catholic Church started with Peter. And we'll look at that and see if that's true according to the Bible. But when you look at history and you look at the truth of history, you find out that way out here at about 325 A.D., there was a guy named Constantine. And Constantine in 325 A.D. is really the one that set up the Roman Catholic Church and joined the state with the church. 
Constantine was the one that claimed he saw this up in heaven. He continually says that he studied history and he knows that the Catholic Church was started by Constantine in 325 AD, which makes no sense because 325 AD was the Council of Nicaea. And guess what? It was a Catholic council. How could the Catholic Church be invented at that time if the Catholic Church was holding a Catholic council at that time? And there were Catholic councils before this time as well. So what this tells me is that this man has not actually studied history. If he had, he would know that there were over 30 popes before the time of the 300s. 30 popes, not to mention bishops, laymen, and we have their writings. All of the earliest Christians claim to be Catholic, not just generically Catholic, but uniquely Catholic, just like Catholics do today. The Council of Nicaea was not called to start a church. It was called to deal with the Arian heresy. Arius was a Catholic priest, proving that the Catholic Church was already in existence, and he was the first one in, that we know of to really deny the divinity of Christ in, in, in a real way like this. And it was the Arian heresy that the Catholic Church came together to deal with. And at this council, Catholic bishops... Uh, came together and they all voted and they voted to uphold the divinity of Christ. I think only two, maybe four at the most, sided with Arius. Valentius, I know, is one of them, but very few people sided with Arius. And the Catholic Church upheld what had always been believed since the beginning of Christianity, and that was Jesus is divine. So if Catholic bishops came together to prove the divinity of Christ at a Catholic council, then how could the church have been invented at this time? Mr. Breaker, I would challenge you on this point, and I would even challenge you to a debate on Catholicism and church history, or any topic you would like. The Bible alone, faith alone, salvation, you name it. Let's have a debate on our channel here, and we would be happy to talk to you and help you to come to clarity on these things. Pope Dionysius in 252 AD was excoriating people. He was a pope. He was writing and calling people out, and he was uh, a Catholic. 75 years before Constantine and the Council of Nicaea, he was already leading the church. Again, how could this happen? So all of the claims, empty claims, not backed up by any facts, sources, or citations that Mr. Breaker makes about Constantine merging the Roman Empire and Christianity and trying to create a state religion, that's all false. Mr. Breaker, you can go to non-Catholic sources for this. The New World Encyclopedia, the Encyclopedia Britannica, history books, they say that it's a myth that Constantine merged church and state. In fact, he had nothing to do with church affairs. He had nothing to do with church doctrines. He had nothing to do with running the Council of Nicaea. He had nothing to do with changing the teachings of the church. These are myths that Mr. Breaker is propitiating, that he's propagating, and they're wrong. They're not based on any history. That's why he doesn't source any history. He doesn't cite any quotes. We're supposed to just take his word for it, and this is the problem. This is why he's so confused. He means well, but he hasn't done enough research. If he had, he might be embarrassed at these claims that he's actually trying to forward. Because as I studied out history, this is what I found, that it really didn't start until 325 AD with Constantine, who set up the first uh, joining or melding of church and state together. And he started a Catholic church. Catholic means universal, or all, everyone together. And it was during this time of Constantine that he made all people come together and claim to be Christians, even pagans. 
Again, I want to apologize on behalf of Mr. Breaker for sharing these very off-base inaccuracies about Catholic Church, about Catholic teaching, about Catholic doctrine. I mean, he's so far off-base, and he keeps coming back to Constantine and saying that he started a church, uh, a state religion based on the church, which became the Catholic Church. This is why he said the Catholic Church is called universal because Constantine made a universal church. He brought everyone and everything together into one state, uh, Christianity into one. It became a universal religion. But this is just false. And just to prove it to you, so you don't have to take my word for it as we're supposed to take his word for it, I want to present some quotes to you to show you that people were Catholic long before Constantine, that they believed in the Catholic faith long before Constantine. And these are a few of the many quotes I could enumerate. The Lord says to Peter that you are rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So on him he builds the church, and to him he gives the command to feed the sheep. And although he assigns a like power to all the other apostles, yet he only founded a single chair, and he established it by his own authority, a source of intrinsic reason for that unity. This is a very long quote, but it goes on to talk about the words Catholic Church. And if you were not in Peter, and if you were not with the bishops, you were not part of the Catholic Church. Listen to what Clement of Alexandria has to say. This is in 202 AD, and he says, From what has been said then, it seems clear to me that the true Catholic Church, which is really ancient and one, we say therefore that it in substance, in concept, in origin, and in eminence, the ancient and Catholic Church alone gathers to itself the unity of the one faith. Tertullian in 200 AD says they were first believers in the doctrine of the Catholic Church in the Church of Rome under the episcopate or papacy of blessed Eleutherius until they wandered away. And he goes on to say, if you are ever in Italy, you have Rome from where our authority derives. How happy is that church on which the apostles poured out their whole doctrine? Ignatius of Antioch, 110 AD, let no one do anything of concern to the church without the bishop. Let that be considered a valid Eucharist, which is celebrated by the bishop or by one he ordains. Wherever the bishop appears, let the people be, for just as where Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. These are just a few instances of Christians claiming to be part of the Catholic Church, Catholic doctrine, Catholic authority, Catholic bishops, the Eucharist, the Mass, and many other things that were in existence all before Constantine. So how could we have uh, thoughts about Mary, the Mass, the saints, Peter as the rock, and many other Catholic distinctives before 325 AD if the Catholic Church was invented? Mr. Breaker has his history wrong, and he needs to reconsider this. And in Matthew chapter 16, we have Jesus Christ here talking to his disciples. And he's telling about his church and how he's going to start his church. And what Catholics do is they read and they only read part of the passage. He says Catholics only read a part of the passage, but really we read the whole Bible. And I'm going to let him finish of what he has to say, but I just had to say that, no, we read the whole context. It's many times that Protestants are the ones who don't read the context. They, do, they just pull things out of context. Oh, the Bible says to call no man father, but they don't read anything else around that. 
oh, the Bible says that you can't pray to anyone. Really? You didn't read the rest of the scriptures. You know, so they pull things out, but Catholics really do try to read the whole Bible, not just the passage, but the passages and the verses surrounding it, and in the context of the whole book, and in the context of the New Testament and the Bible at large. I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And they say that Jesus was standing here, and Jesus was talking to Peter. And they say when Jesus was talking, he said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, and they say the rock is Peter. I will build my church. So the whole foundation of the Catholic Church is on Peter. And they say Peter is the rock. But is that is that right? Is that is Peter the rock? You see, when I read that passage, I don't see that. I see Jesus speaking and he says, Thou art Peter. But then Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church. See, the rock isn't Peter, the rock is Jesus. You say, Can you prove that from the Bible? Well, yeah, if I do, that pretty much uh, undoes the entire Catholic system, doesn't it? Well, matter of fact, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, without a doubt, the Bible tells us who the rock is. And it's not Peter. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and verse 3 and 4, And did all eat the same spiritual meat. It's talking about Moses and how they left Egypt in the Old Testament. And verse 4, they did all drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank the, of that spiritual rock. And notice, it's a capital R. Hmm. That followed them, and that rock was Christ. So according to the Bible, the rock is Jesus. Jesus is the rock. Notice he keeps saying, you are Peter, and upon this rock. In English, it makes it sound like it's different, but it's not. In the original Aramaic, Jesus would have used the word kepha, and that means rock. And he literally, looking at Peter, speaking to Peter, he said, you are kepha. In other words, you are rock. And upon this rock, I am going to build my church. How can we misunderstand that, perhaps? If I looked at you, and this is just an example, but if I said, you are scum, how would you misinterpret, oh, you don't mean that. You are scum, but you really mean someone else's scum. No. we. If I'm calling you scum, and I'm looking at you and telling you you are scum, I believe you are scum. And of course, I don't believe anyone out there is scum. But if Jesus is speaking to Peter, and he says, you are rock, then that means he's the rock, especially considering that at this very moment, his name was not rock. His name was Simon. And at this very moment, Jesus changed his name to Rock. He could have changed it to thousands of other names. He could have changed it to Habib or to Judas or to anything else, but he chose Rock. And we know from Scripture that name changes are exceedingly important because they signify a change in status and they signify a change in mission. Like when Abram became Abraham, he became the father of all nations. God was giving him a mission that was much greater than himself and he changed his name to reflect that. It's the same thing when Jacob became Israel and many other passages and examples we could give. Now Peter is having his name changed. He's having a change in status elevated, and he's having a change in mission, and Jesus specifically changes his name to Rock. In Caesarea Philippi, where there's a 200 by 500 foot rock, why would he change his name to Rock at that moment while saying you are Rock if he's not the Rock? It doesn't make any sense.
To verify this change in status in this elevation in ministry, Jesus gives Peter alone, singular in Greek, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which symbolize authority, a primacy of authority. And Peter alone receives these keys at the moment he is called the rock, at the moment Jesus is giving him a mission. Thirdly, we know that Peter is the rock because Jesus calls him the rock at other times in Scripture. And so does Paul. Just for one example, in John 1.42, he calls Peter Cephas. Cephas is the transliterated word coming from the Aramaic, rock, kepha. It's, it's translated into Cephas or kephas, kepha, kephas. And so this word, kephas, in John 1.42 means rock. That's what the transliteration is. And so Jesus calls him Cephas, or some people say Cephas, and that means rock. Paul calls him that. In Galatians chapter 2, he said, I opposed Cephas to his face. He called him the rock. Why would they keep calling him rock if he was not the rock? This is proof positive that Peter absolutely was the rock. Of course, Protestants and Mr. Breaker himself will say that Peter is not the rock because Jesus is specifically called the rock in Scripture. So we know that Jesus is the rock. But this is problematic on many accounts because God in the Old Testament is called the rock. Abraham is called the rock. Jesus is called the rock. And Peter is called the rock. There are different metaphors used for different people at different times with different meanings intended. Similarly, Mr. Breaker specifically quotes... I don't think he realizes it, but he quotes Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, which says that the apostles are the foundation of the church. And Revelation says that they are the foundation of the church. But later on, it says Jesus is the foundation. Now, notice he doesn't have a problem calling the apostles the foundation because it doesn't seem to be a Catholic teaching. But the apostles and the prophets can be a foundation, and Jesus can be a foundation. And Mr. Breaker rightly says, this time, that Jesus is the ultimate cornerstone, and the apostles and prophets fit in on that foundation. And it's the same thing with Peter. While he's the rock, Jesus is the ultimate rock and cornerstone that is the foundation of the entire church. So Mr. Breaker is incorrect when he says that Catholics call Peter the foundation. Jesus is absolutely the foundation and the cornerstone. Peter fits into that. He fits into that just as the apostles do, just as they are the foundation and Peter is the rock. They all fit into Christ and they reside there, built up in him. Without him, they have nothing. And we will see that he uses this later in this video. We're going we're gonna to play him, him later showing that he's actually proving what we say. Jesus's church. It's not Peter's church. It's Jesus' church, and as we look in the Bible, the church is called the body of Christ. Notice it's not called the body of Peter. This is what's known as a straw man argument. You set up a straw man, and you knock it down, and then you applaud and pat yourself on the back about what a great job you did. But this is a straw man argument. It's presenting things that the Catholic Church doesn't believe, and then proceeding to attack those things as if the Catholic Church is wrong, and as if the Catholic Church believes them. He keeps making the false dichotomy that Catholics believe it's Peter's church, but Christians believe it's Jesus' church. Catholics believe that it's Jesus' church. Jesus started the church on the rock of Peter. He started it on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, as it says in Ephesians 2.20, and upon himself, who's the ultimate cornerstone. But it's Jesus who started the church, and we believe that. He keeps saying that Roman Catholics will tell you that Peter built the church where does the Catholic Church say that, pray tell? 
Where do we claim that? I would love for him to quote a single source backing himself up, but he never does. These are just empty, vacuous claims that aren't substantiated by anything. The Catholic Church does not teach that Peter built the church. We have taught for 2,000 years that Jesus Christ, our Lord, started the church. But then he says to Peter, but I will give you the gates, uh, the, the keys, and things like that. So, yes, Peter would have been the one that helped start the church, but the church was founded on Christ, not on Peter. Again, this is a straw man argument. Of course Jesus started the church, but he did so on the apostles. But did you notice that he said that Jesus did give Peter the keys and things like that? That was his quote, that he gave Peter the keys and things like that. This is either a gross misunderstanding of the passage or an inability to grapple with the facts. He's just glossing over the fact that Peter received the keys. This alone gives Peter the primacy in the church, the highest authority on earth under Christ. We can see the keys in Revelation. Jesus has the keys over death and Hades, which means he has authority over death, Hades, hell, the devil, because the keys symbolize authority. But he gives the keys of the kingdom of heaven to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, and 19. And these keys come from Isaiah 22, where we're going to see that King David had a prime minister. King David was the highest authority in the land, but he appointed someone, a vicar specifically, in this case a prime minister, that's what they called him, and the prime minister had all authority in the land under King David. And if King David was away, the prime minister would rule or run the kingdom in his place. And there were other authorities in the land to be sure, but they all answered to the prime minister who alone answered to the king. This is the office of prime minister or vicar that Jesus is giving to Peter by giving him the keys. In Isaiah 22, starting in verse 15, you will see that there was an evil prime minister named Shebna, and the king was going to remove him from his position. But we're also going to see that this position is an office. It has dynastic succession, and it's a priestly office. Starting in verse 20, it says that, In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe. A priestly robe, garment, symbolizes a priestly authority. And I will bind your girdle on him and you and will commit your authority, that's the key word, authority, to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Now notice in verse 22 here, it says, I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David and he shall open and no one shall shut and what he shall shut no one shall open. I will fasten him like a peg in a short place. He will become a throne of honor in his father's house. And so on and so on. It talks about the offspring and so on. But the point is, he receives this office. He receives the key of authority. He's going to be over the house, over the house of David, meaning that he has the authority over the whole house, obviously under the king. And all people are going to answer to him. And once he dies or if he is removed, another one takes his place. This is the establishment. This is the authority that Christ gives Peter when he gives him the keys, not of the kingdom of David, but of the kingdom of heaven. And he doesn't say what you open, no one shall shut, and what you shut, no one shall open, which are terms of authority, meaning nobody can contradict you or correct you. You have the highest authority. But Jesus likewise gives a similar authority to Peter when he says what you 
bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is priesthood authority, binding and loosening. And all of the other apostles receive it, the similar authority in Matthew 18, 15 through 18, but only Peter receives the keys of the kingdom, giving him a primacy. And Mr. Breaker overlooks all of this information on the keys and an understanding of the keys, which is why he doesn't understand and can say that, oh, the Pope's not in the Bible. Oh, Peter's nothing. Like, he doesn't understand these passages because he's not exegeting them properly and he's not looking into them deeply, which is exactly what he accuses the Catholic Church of not doing. In this same passage, not a few verses later, look at what Jesus says about Peter. The Catholic Church says the first pope was Peter. Well, if he was the first pope, look at what Jesus says to the first pope in the same passage. He, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of man. Jesus Christ called Peter Satan. <laughs> so Jesus called the first pope, according to the Catholics, Satan. Wow, that doesn't, that doesn't sit too well, does it? In this section, Mr. Breaker says that Jesus calls Peter Satan, and this is bad news for the papacy. He says it's a big problem for Catholics, but really, it's not. The word Satan means adversary, and Jesus was clearly telling us, and he telling Peter, that he was being an adversary at the time because he did not want Christ to be crucified. He wanted to keep him there because he loved him, and he chided Peter and said, you're thinking like man, not like God. And so he rightly called him out for that. He did not take away the promise of the keys. He did not take away from the fact that he just made him the head of the church. He just called him out for thinking like a man. It doesn't undo anything that Jesus just did, especially considering how we've already mentioned that the apostles messed up many times and Jesus still used them for ministry and still used them to lead the church, especially when he was going to fill them with his Holy Spirit and give them the strength and courage to do what's right. Didn't all the apostles betray Jesus in the garden? Yes. Did Jesus still use them for ministry? Yes. Did he still use them to lead the church? Yes. Did he still use them to change the world? Yes, he did despite their flaws, despite their idiosyncrasies, and despite their lack of faith sometimes, he still chose them to lead the church, and it's the same thing with Peter. And we see this, in fact, because Peter not only was called Satan, but he also received, and he was the only one to receive in that passage, revelation from God. And we know that God continued to use him despite that, because he continued to get revelations from God. And in fact, in Acts chapter 10 with Cornelius, he received revelation from God saying that Gentiles would be coming into the church now. This was a big deal. And he's the one who settled the matter at uh, the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15 over circumcision. Peter is the one who preached the first message, the first sermon that converted 3,000 hearts to baptism that day. He's the one who did the first miracles. We see Peter throughout the New Testament being the leader despite being called Satan. So this argument has no weight and it does not hold up. And we might add one more thing here in John chapter 21. After Peter did something far worse than just wanting Jesus to stay here, he denied him three times. And yet Jesus came to him 
him in John 21. And he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Again, yes, Lord, I love you. Tend my lambs. Yes, Lord, tend my sheep. He's saying, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. He's giving him and making him the good shepherd. He's giving him again the authority to lead the church, to lead the sheep, to tend the lambs. And he's not taking it all away just because he messed up. God forbid, we all mess up. Priests, bishops, pastors, everyone messes up. Is God going to rip something away just because we mess up? Just because we become adversaries of God sometimes? Absolutely not. And he didn't do that for Peter either. No, he gave him the role of the good shepherd, and he would lead the flock of God in his place. Again, as we talked about, he received the keys of the kingdom, which gave him this primacy of leadership and authority. God sent Peter to start the church, but then later God used Paul, and that the church started with Jews, and then it changed over to Gentiles. And we who are Christians today, according to Romans 11, 13, are to follow Paul. Three times in the scriptures, Paul says, follow me. So why is the Catholic Church trying to follow Peter instead of Paul? Peter was the apostle to the Jews. There were two keys listed. This was the first key, was to Jews. And there was another key, to Gentiles. And those who are saved today in the church are Gentiles. In this passage, Mr. Breaker is saying that Paul told us three times to follow him because he was the leader of the Gentiles. But this is absolutely preposterous. He never says that anywhere. And if you read Romans 11:13, which he quoted in this section of the video, you'll see that it doesn't actually say that. It says that Paul is an apostle to the Gentiles. It never says we only have to follow Paul. He's making a distinction between Jesus and Peter and then Paul. And he's claiming that we need to follow Paul. This is absolutely inaccurate. The only thing that this means is that he was called and chosen to go minister to the Gentiles. But Peter himself was the one received and chosen by God to receive the Gentiles into the church. As we just mentioned in Acts 10, he was the one who received the revelation, not Paul, regarding the Gentiles of the church, and he's the one who welcomed them into the church. So we can't say he had nothing to do with the Gentiles because that's also inaccurate. Not to mention John 21, which we just mentioned, where Jesus gives him charge over all the sheep, not just the Jewish sheep, but all the sheep, because the true followers of Christ are part of the church, and the apostles were given to be leaders over the whole church, not just parts of the church. That's why in Acts 15, 11, it's Peter who settles the matter of whether circumcision was necessary for Gentiles or not. They don't leave that to Paul. It's... Peter. In fact, the elders would not listen, the scriptures say, to Paul and Barnabas, and they fiercely argued with them. They would not take their word for it. But when Peter came down and spoke on the matter, all people fell silent. Everyone was quiet and no one said a word. And only then could James speak up and speak on some of the ordinary disciplinary matters after that. But it was Peter who settled the matter on the Gentiles. This shows that he has authority in the church, not just preaching the Gentiles, but actual authority to settle matters. To me, he's going against the scriptures that he claims to go by. He's saying Catholics go by Peter, but we go by Paul. This is exactly what Paul condemns himself in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 4, where he says, 
Some people said that they follow Paul. Some said that they followed Apollos. Some said they followed others. They were breaking off into different factions and say, oh, you follow Paul, well, I follow this person. Oh, well, you follow that person, we follow this person. And Paul was chiding them for that. He's like, are we not all on the same team? Are we not all planting in the same vineyard? Some of us sow, some of us water, but all of it is grown up in the same vineyard for Christ. We're all working together. It's one church. It's not you versus me. It's not Peter versus Paul. In this attitude that he's promoting is exactly what's condemned in Holy Scripture. Further, he notes that one key was given to Peter and then one key was given to Paul, but he doesn't cite a single verse. Do you wonder why? Because it's not there. Nowhere in the entire New Testament does it say that Jesus gave a key to Paul also. He says in Matthew 16, 19, I give you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. What you, singular, bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and what you bind on earth, what you loose on earth, will be loosed in heaven. Notice it says he gave Peter the keys, plural. Peter, singular, keys, plural. Nowhere does it say that he gave the keys to Paul. That's a complete assumption, not based on the Bible that he claims to be going by. My goodness, there's so much more to cover. We have gone so long and we're only halfway through debunking his video. So this will be the end of part one and we are going to make a part two very shortly debunking Mr. Breaker again with all the rest of the errors in this video. And we didn't even get to them all because it would be a four hour video <laughs> if we addressed all of his points. There's just too many errors in his video to address them all. But I hope this video has helped you to see that what he says many times about the Bible is not actually accurate. And what he claims is not actually in the Bible many times. He's putting his own projections. He's projecting his own thoughts and theology into the Bible that's not actually there. And he's projecting his own thoughts onto Catholicism and history that's not actually there. What he says and what the reality is are two different things. And I hope this has become apparent. It's going to become even more apparent in part two, as we're going to see. But thank you so much for sticking with us in this video. Thank you so much in advance. Please, Catholics, share this with everyone you absolutely know so we can undo these uh, lies, even if they are unintentional, these myths and misconceptions about the Catholic Church. People like him mean well. They're, they're sincere, but they're sincerely wrong. And we need to undo their lies and their myths and their misconceptions. So please share this video. It will also help us to get it out there more to, so more people see it. If you like it, if you comment on it, YouTube will say, wow, people like this video, and they'll show it to more people. But thank you. And please consider uh, checking out our merch and being a walking billboard for Jesus Christ. Check out our shirts that we have. We have so many more new designs now on our website along with mugs. Uh, bumper stickers, and more. So thank you for watching. Please keep praying for us as we're always praying for you. Oh, and if you would like to support our ministry, as I said in the beginning, we would love that because you are helping us weekly, sometimes daily, to bring souls home to Jesus Christ. Protestants galore are coming home to Jesus Christ. Anti-Catholics are coming home to Jesus Christ by watching this video, by watching all of our videos, and they tell us this often. If you would like to be put on our newsletter and you would like to see some of these uh, endorsements or thanks or just people telling us these things, feel free to get on our newsletter. You can email our uh, administrative assistant at info at thecatholictruth.org. Again, if you would like to support our ministry, please do it. You can find it down below on Patreon or PayPal. Thank you so much and God bless you.